Miss Angie is visiting The Antidote. It's so good to have you here. My pleasure. I am happy to be here. You know, right off the start, I've got to get you to be honest with us because <laughs> doesn't the miss in Miss Angie need to be scrapped? Oh, totally, yes. Uh, there's no escaping it, though. I just can't get away from that name. So it is what it is because, yes, I'm married with four children. So <laughs> I'm not a teeny bopper anymore. Well, this might sound sexist, but I guess the reality is, is that moms really do most of the child raising. So how do you find time for your music? Oh, gosh, music is just a part of me. It's always been a part of me. And if I don't get to play the piano and songwrite and jam with people, I just am not myself. So my husband knows that I've got to find time in my life for that. So he'll watch the kids on a Friday night while I'll go to a worship service. And, you know, he'll offer to help with the kids on Sunday mornings when I need to go to practice early. Um, so he's really supportive of taking on that role. But other than that, I'm in mom world all the time. So I do bring my kids into the music room, introduce them to music and, and stuff. So that helps. But yeah, I don't get a long, long run at doing anything because I'm always on call as a mom. But I do get, you know, 30 minutes here, an hour here, kind of stuff like that. Well, you did just mention that Music Soul has been a part of you. So I'd love to hear about it. How and when did you get involved in music? My dad plays guitar and is a songwriter and a singer. And I grew up with him having band practice in the basement and going an hour early to church because he was in the worship band and my mom was in the worship band. So I was just kind of marinated in that whole world growing up. And my dad would always travel and do concerts. And so on the weekends, I would get to go be with him and he would put me up there singing. And I just kind of stuck. It was just something I love to do. Although he did get pretty pushy when I was a teenager. He wanted me to make my own demo tape. And I was really scared to do that because my brother had done that and gotten signed to Goatee in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to make a demo and fail. So, But he, he pressured me into it majorly. So I did. Well, then if you're okay with this, I'd really like to run through your discography. Oh, sure. With your debut album, 100 Million Eyeballs, one reviewer had said, her style choice is an acquired taste to say the least, as an older audience may not fully embrace Angie's approach to music. And other times, the music has been called youthful, and you yourself even described yourself as a teeny bopper. <laughs> Isn't all of that unfair? Oh, no, no, not at all. It's it's right on. <laughs> I've never been like the, the mainstream sound. I've always liked off-the-cuff, go-down-the-weird-road kind of thing. <laughs> And a lot of my inspiration musically, you know, wasn't getting drawn from like mainstream Christian hit songs. So, yeah, it's not going to be picked up or accepted by the masses. Probably I understood that. And it's true. It's in, in youthful. Yes, I do have a childlike vibe going on. So I agree with that. But you've got to have some older fans of your music. 
they're older now (laughs) (laughs) because I'm older. We're all older now. Yeah. My major fan base is like 40 year old men because you you know, you can go on Spotify and, and see the demographics. So, yeah. Well, here's something. Why don't I have you explain about where the song concept came from the title track of a hundred million eyeballs? Oh, that was, that was me reading in revelation in, um, Isaiah. When Isaiah saw the throne of God, and it was just another dimension, basically. It's like creatures that you can't even fathom why they would have eyeballs all over their body or wings and different heads. And they're constantly, they they cannot stop enjoying the presence of God and calling out praises. And that's what that song was about. Um, 100 million eyeballs is describing those creatures that are worshiping Jesus, worshiping God. Couldn't you imagine that kind of creature going up against Godzilla in a movie? I mean, yeah, you could. You, you could. <laughs> I, think, I think these creatures are like one-track mind. You know, I think they have eyes all over their body because they're constantly seeing the Lord in every direction and every facet, and they're constantly amazed. I don't know. That's a theory, and that's not biblical, but... You mentioned this also a little bit earlier, that your music wouldn't be considered typical. But you know, the thing is, is that the Christian music machine has always had these unwritten rules. So were you trying to break them? No, I don't think I was trying to do anything except uh, write music that I enjoy. It is kind of sad when you make something from your heart and then not a lot of people get it. So I I wouldn't say I was trying to. I was just, I don't know what to do except for be myself. I don't know how that's working for me, but I just got to stay true to my own sound and who I am. Your Christian record label must have known that your music might be different. But of course, your lyrics were always Christ-centered. You did actually open that up about how people might feel about that Christian-centeredness of your music. On the song, Lift My Eyes, you say, Some say my brain's a mess for laying down my life for the one they say is crazy. So your music then was a response to that? Yeah, that's a cool line. I didn't even write that line. (laughs) Um, I was working with the producer of and it was the lead singer of Johnny Q Public, and he was producing my vocals at the time, and we had to finish writing that song. And I had wrote like half of the song, and so he wrote that line. That's the beauty of co-writing with other artists and and writers, is you, you get something, you draw off of each other. I mean, he wouldn't write that line for just anybody, so, you know, he was thinking of me, but... Yeah, it was a cool time, a cool moment. I love that... Uh, that statement and that like declaration it's it's very very forward i like that i heard you say in a 1999 documentary that your music is a cross between metallica and sandy patty (laughs) and then i read an article where you said that second chapter of acts keith green and crystal lewis influenced your music i really don't understand that Lyrically, maybe, but musically, it's not even close. Yep. Yeah. That's because as a writer, like the lyric side of things, I was leaning towards those those Christian elements. Like Sandy Patty at the time was a very Christian-y, praise, glorifying God artist. 
Metallica has a rough, raw, grungy, gritty sound. So that's kind of the combo there. And yeah, second chapter of Axe, they've got a nostalgia. They're kind of a hippie band to me because um, they're from you know the 70s. So there, there was that. And also they've got that vibe to them that they're kind of singing from a different generation, if you will. And then the Crystal Lewis is just a really good worship leader. I really liked her songwriting in that way. So, Is that how you view yourself as a worship singer? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. But certainly the non-typical style. That too, yes. I'll be blunt. I find worship to be incredibly boring. And I know that's harsh, and that's just how I am. But really what you do, you bring in that worship element in this alternative indie rock kind of style. Thank you so much for acknowledging that in my art and my songwriting. It feels really good to just be seen, you know? So thank you. You know, I'm still doing that. I'm still writing worship music that's not really in the vein of mainstream worship. My my radio station locally here in town who used to play my old stuff they won't even give me the time of day for my new EP. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Now, that station that you speak about, was that Christian radio or is that mainstream? Christian radio, yeah. So what's going on with Christian radio? Your early music came out in the late 90s, which is probably my favorite era of Christian music. I often call it the artistic decade. How much has the Christian music scene changed since then? Oh, wow. It's so commercial sounding and and the production and sonic sounds are just as good as anything. There's not really a line anymore of like, oh, that sounds Christian sonically and this one doesn't, um, I think, commercially wise. I don't know if I have a strong opinion on anything. I I just try to stay thankful about all of it. And I mean, how has it changed? I just think it, there's more of it, and I'm happy for that. I'm more of it. I'm, I'm glad Christian artists and singers and songwriters and musicians are getting played more, and there's more of it. It might not be our flavor, and, and that day is coming. That, that'll turn around. Like there's, a, you know, there's an indie scene in Christian music. There's a ton of cool artists, and they don't get any radio play. But they're so creative and so soul-feeding. But yeah, no, they don't get any radio play. And why don't they get radio play? your opinion? Well, you know, in my experience, it does take um, thousands and thousands of dollars. You have to have anywhere from five to 20 grand to work one song. So the gatekeepers, the radio promoters are the ones that do the choosing. I mean, I'm a soccer mom type of deal myself. I turn on Christian music in the morning on the way to school because I want or in the car, I want my kids to have that that vibe. It's not what I like to listen to, but it does. It makes me feel good about their hearts. So I can't say too much bad stuff about it. Don't you think the biggest issue is that Christian radio plays it safe? A little too safe. Oh yeah. It's for the soccer mom. It's definitely for the mom that's driving their kids around because not too many other people are listening to radio like that. That's what my husband says. (laughs) There's a lot of good Christian music out there on indie stations and playlists and stuff. You just have to search for it, you know. 
Well, to be honest with you about your music, if you sounded like all the artists that are being played on regular Christian radio, I wouldn't invite you to come for a talk. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) I'm cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to bounce back on track here. Triumphantine was your follow-up, and it came with a different style. One of the songs that had a message that wasn't quite as obvious as some of your other songs. Getcha says, wined and dined and feeling oh so fine. Treasures towered, don't need the divine. Smart and sure in thine own eye. Was that coming from personal experience? No, that, Kelly, thank you for asking. That is actually, I'm singing in more like a parable style. So I'm talking about people who would boast that they have everything they need in the world. They're wined and dined and they're feeling so fine. Treasures are towered and they don't need God. Like I'm, I'm talking kind of in that thing, but they'll get you, they'll get you, they'll get you. Meaning the world's ways will eventually catch up with you those towers of treasure that you think you have in the afterlife is not going to matter. So that that's kind of where I was going with that songwriting lyric. Yeah, that's weird. I know. <laughs> mysterious. The poet has to be mysterious. You know, we can't help it. And that's what we are as poets. So you had triumphantine. Once that was done, you disappeared. What happened? Yeah, I did disappear. My label, I fulfilled my contract with them and they really weren't feeling triumphantine. It was just too weird for them. I mean, I did get a number one rock single out of it once they had Ted T remix it, but they just kind of stopped communicating with me about everything. And so I was like, I guess we're done here. And I didn't seek to keep doing things because I had had my fill of the road in the stages at that time. And as a girl, I really was craving domestic life. I wanted to just go do manual labor, like clean a house or something. Because I had just been living in my suitcase and, you know, living the life of like going on stage and signing autographs. And of course, I was preaching the gospel. And But yeah, it's a big, hard life to keep all that going. I mean, I had made a living enough to pay my crew. So I personally never made an income, but I did make enough to pay like my road manager and my band. So it's just, it's a big rolling thing. And so I settled down into domestic life and thought, oh, I take a break. I just didn't feel like going back to the industry. And I guess as an artistic person, you just kind of get moody like that. But then when I wanted to come back, it wasn't that easy. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll come back whenever I want. No, no, you can't just pop back in 20 years later. No. No, it took you 12 years. (laughs) And that's when you came back with the Time and Space album. Yeah. That included one of my favorites of yours, Love Stealer. That's an honest song. How about giving us the story? That's about my ex-husband. Yeah, because I I was married to Oren. He... He was a songwriter, producer, guitar player. I mean, he's like a guitar guru. He's he's the solo on Jesus Freak for DC Talk. I mean, that's his guitar sound and his guitar solo. And he went on tour with them. And he's just an excellent guitar player. But in that break, after Triumphantine, uh, we had a miscarriage. And then we adopted a baby from Guatemala. And then our marriage didn't make it. 
And uh, that's probably why it took me a long time to get back in the music scene because I was so used to him working with me on it that it just was a fish out of water. I didn't know what to do or how to be without him. So, and I think there was some lines in that song, Love Stealer, like, let me get past here. And like, let me get, I want to get past this. It just takes a long time when you get divorced. You think you're going to move on, but no, you don't move on very quickly at all, no matter what the situation is. But now you have your special fella. Yeah, I do. God gave me someone else to do life with. And and yeah, he's younger than me. But all my husbands, all my husbands, there's only been two. But yeah, Oren was younger than me. But this guy's even younger. So, but he's, <laughs> he's great. Uh, he's, he's a great husband and father. He's, he's a really good guy. He's a righteous dude. I always tell him he's a righteous dude. I should tell you that a song I was surprised by was something you recorded in 2013 for the Casting Down of Demonic Angels release. It has this electronic edge on the song Restore. Is that a style you wanted to pursue? Oh, yeah, I I did want to pursue it. It was fun at the time. And when I met Dave, my my husband now, he, he really liked that sound, too. He was into kind of the techno sound. And he had a band called Poorly Built Parachute. But yeah, I, I think that was just me being ex- definitely being exploratory. Yeah. Yeah, we made that together. It took us forever to pick out the sounds. And then we worked with Jeremy Larson to record it. And he kind of made it come alive. Earlier this year, you got in touch with The Antidote to fill me in about Desert Flags. But something I didn't hear about from you was what actually inspired the title. Yeah, well, I had been waiting on that answer to myself because I wasn't sure why I named it Desert Flags either. Is that that's a horrible answer? But I do, like I don't know. No, my husband and I we we like naming things together. Like we named the the casting down of demonic angels because it just sounds so ridiculous and also epic at the same time. Sounds very metal. It does, but I'm not a metal person. So that's what it was kind of the irony just kind of made us laugh and enjoyable. And you got to enjoy your art. So yeah, so Desert Flags, uh, he came up with that. I liked it because it just, I don't know, it reminded me of, this is really far out there and you're, this isn't going to make any sense, but it reminded me of the the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness right when God had brought them out of Egypt and they were getting ready to take their promised land and they had assembled in tents out in the desert and they would identify each tribe with a flag. It was like a, the Bible calls it a standard, but it was, you know, flags and they would have their tribal name on these flags and that was their identity. And they really didn't have as a country, God was their identity. God was their everything. I don't know. To me, it just speaks a little bit of identity. Um, desert flags and uh, that's kind of where i was going with it for the release you hooked up with a guy who's been the producer for the violet burning article one the deadlines and the big one was when he produced mercury and lightning for john mark mcmillan did gabriel wilson have a big influence on desert flags oh yes oh yes i hadn't been in the the loop of songwriting as hardcore as I needed to be. So he kind of coached me for several months with songwriting and how to help me grow in that. And then, you know, all the while in pre-production, we're talking about sounds and different things. And 
Yeah, he definitely had. That was one of the reasons I wanted to work with him because sonically, he's brilliant. Um, I love everything he he that he likes sonically. Uh, for instance, when he would do a rough demo of one of my songs, he would send it back to me, and I was there was nothing to change, and that's kind of unheard of for an artist. I'm, normally, they want to be opinionated, but I was like, "This is great. I love this. There's nothing to change. I love everything you're doing. Every sonic, everything." So he's kind of a genius at that kind of thing. So that side of it was really great working with him. Desert Flags has gripped me. Songs like Joyrider with that pounding beat and the, the beautiful line, meek eyes of fire burning, Joyrider on his heavenly scene. A song like that has me wondering, though, is it tough to just not reiterate what every other artist has already done on our Christian faith? Well, for me, the only hard part is just finishing things. Like I have a lot of songs inside of me. And when I sit down to write, I write at the piano. And so when I sit down to write, I have songs every day, all day, every hour. It's just finishing them and kind of crafting them. I try to be diligent in that. But when when I wrote Joyrider, yeah, I didn't sit down and try to write a song about that. It just kind of came out of my soul, like what I wanted to sing about, what my heart wanted to sing about, and kind of what I've seen in my mind or, or what I see in the future from reading the Bible in my mind. So, yeah. Well, you know, I think I've been asking too many questions, but we oh. do have something important to talk about. Do your kids start dancing when they hear the song alive? Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've played it for them like too many times or anything. It's That's weird to think about. I don't really turn on my music on my own stereo. But my friends have said that their kids love it and that their kids are dancing to it. And that makes me so happy. You have to admit, it's incredibly catchy. Yeah. You know, it was a ballad when I wrote it. A like, ballad that was. Yeah, like this kind of not to embarrass myself, but like this kind of like Brian Adams kind of ballad sounding thing. And then Gabe, he wanted to flip it around and he wanted to make it like that. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. And it worked really good. I love it. Yeah. Desert Flags is out now. And I really couldn't say that it's radio friendly with all of the songs running so long. I mean, even up to eight minutes. Of course, I don't really care because I'm captivated by it. But maybe you could tell us who the album is designed for. Wow, I I wasn't really trying to design it for anyone particularly. I just was fleshing out my creativity. So we wrote songs and we documented them and we put them out. And if people love them, then I'm so happy. But if they don't, I I was able to create something that was inside of me. And I'm just happy to do that. I, I have to keep doing it. Like, you know, I'm going to be working on my next project this year. So, yeah. Well, thanks for this talk about the music of Miss Angie. And thanks for recording Desert Flags. You're welcome. I, I feel so happy that you liked it. Thank you. <laughs> 